0: Well, praise the Lord. You could remain in 1 John chapter 4. It's going to be the center for our text today. 1 John chapter 4. And today we're going to embark upon a subject that is at the center of the gospel. A subject that is critical to our faith A Subject that is mostly unknown, I think a lot of people know of it, but a right dividing of what the love of God is perhaps is unclear. And that subject is the love of God. I've entitled this message, The Depth of God's Love. Quite honestly, it's going to be a part one. I I just know because of how rich this is. But I likened it to any one of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, any one of us that has experienced the forgiveness of sin, any one of us that has been born again. I'm willing to bet if you're like me, you probably have asked yourselves these questions. How could God have forgiven me? Why would God forgive me? I am not worthy of such forgiveness. How can a loving, righteous God love me, a sinner? And how could God cause his son to bear such a penalty, to ransom me from my sins? And the answer to all of this is the love of God. The love of God. I've often thought to myself, what compelled God to give his only son to become a sacrifice for sins for all who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus? And you don't have to search the universe for the answer. The answer is the love of God. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world. It is the love of God. And today what I want to do is I want to search the scriptures. I want to go through the scriptures. By, By the way, today we're going to go through a lot of scripture. But I want to search the scriptures to learn more about this great love. Everybody thinks they know the great love of God. Everybody, believer and unbeliever, just about knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want to search the Scriptures to know more of this great love. That he caused us to be born again. That he calls unrighteous men and women. That he calls sinners, as Paul said in 2 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.15. Uh, this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of which I am the foremost. Many times in our lives we speak of the great victories of God in our life. And we see his hand of might and strength in our lives. Many times we talk about the wisdom of God. We love to have theological conversations and show our smartness and our wisdom by nitpicking through all of the various theological discourses. But when we speak of the love of God, we peer into the very heart of God. The very heart of God. Today, I want to begin to explore that heart of God. I want to begin to explore at that love of God. That infinitely rich love. That love that is ever abounding. And we will look at First John. Particularly today, we're going to use this, our main text, 1 John 4, 7. But we're going to see a lot throughout the scriptures, both old and new. And as we look at it, we're going to see three principles that are going to emerge. Three principles that are going to emerge. The first principle, God's love begins with God. God's love begins with God. The second principle, God's love is defined by God, not by us. God's love is defined by God. And the third principle, God's love is given by God. And what I really hope, this is what I really hope, I really hope we get lost in this. I really do. I really hope that the weightiness of this subject causes us to go home and to search the scripture and and to be lost in the infiniteness of God. I am going to tell you, this is about as big a subject than anyone could ever approach. And with human frailty and human humility and with human weakness and with ignorance of mind, we'll never get to the point where we fully comprehend this majestic, this divine love of God. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. But I do want to scratch at the surface i do want us to gather as much as much as much as we can and i want and it's my prayer that our mindset regarding the love of god changes from a very subjective my interpretation of what love is into a biblical definition of what it means god's what god's love means So take a look at your Bibles in 1 John chapter 4 and let's look at the context for our sermon found in verse 7. The Word of God reads as follows, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I want to begin, uh, you guys know I love the dead guys I want to begin with a quote from another dead guy, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has been a tremendous inspiration in my life. Martin Lloyd-Jones' comment on verse 7 says this, Now this is the logical development of spiritual knowledge. It is to know God. God is love. Therefore, the more I know God, the more, I, the more will I know that God is love, and the more will I know about love. We cannot know love outside of God. You hear that? The world would say love is love. Love is not love. There are varying degrees of love. Right? And we know that. We need to recognize that in a human context, there are varying degrees of love. God calls me to love my neighbor as myself. So I love my neighbor. I show kindness to my neighbor. I testify to Christ for my neighbor. My con- conduct is right and upstanding for my neighbor. But God calls me to love my wife. And the way I love my wife, and it became down to between my neighbor and my wife, my wife's going to win every time. I love my neighbor, but it's a very different love that I have for my wife. I love my wife, but I have a very different love for my children. Very different love for my children. Right? And so we see there's varying degrees. In human love... It is primarily based on emotion. And that love could wane at times. Can it not? You know, you, you know oh, I, I love this girl so much. Oh, we broke up, you know, six months ago. Well, Why? I thought you loved her. Well, we broke up. It wasn't the same, blah, blah, blah. The emotions can rise and fall. So as we look at the love of God, the first thing I want to put out there is take it out of your subjective context. Don't ever think you love exactly like God loves, because you don't. Okay, can we settle that one? You don't. Here in verse 7, we see the first of three principles that are emerging here. And the first principle we see here in verse 7 is God's love begins with God. It begins with God. It emerges with God. There would be no love if there wasn't a God who first loved. John goes on and he says here, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Love comes from God. It begins with God. Now, I want to address something as well. John is going to talk about God is love. Okay? God is love. But that is not the sole attribute of God. You follow me? God is love, but God is not only love, God is justice. Meaning that God has a very definite penalty for sin and error and that penalty is the wrath of god. As Paul says in in first, uh, first Corinthians for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness the wrath of god god is love but the wrath of god is poured out. God is righteous. We know god is holy. We know that the love of God exists in a God that the Bible can describe as being angry. We know that God is a jealous God and He's zealous for those in whom He loves. The love of God exists within all the attributes of God. It does not negate one or the other. So therefore, God is love does not negate his wrath. God is love, does not negate his justice. God is love, does not negate his righteousness. Therefore, God is not this tolerant being who winks an eye at all kinds of unrighteousness and sin. Why? Because God is holy. So his love exists within the holiness, within the righteousness, within the justice. The world is trying to paint a picture that God is this all-tolerant being. Everything goes. He's like that, you know, old grandpa sitting in a chair, and underneath his feet, all the kids are running around, and they're throwing things, and the room is a mess, and God is going, that's all right. You know, they're just, they're just kids. Let them be. It don't work that way. It does not work that way. God is indeed love. He is indeed love. And His love works in balance with all of His other attributes. So John begins by saying the love of God begins with God. Look at Deuteronomy 36. Let's look at this love of God going back. Deuteronomy 36. You'll see a good example of this. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel. And by the way, you're going to be flipping through, so keep those pages going. The Lord loves Christians who carry a real Bible. (laughs) 30 verse 6? Did I say that? You said 30 six, 30 no, 30, 30 verse 6. My apologies. Turn to the book of Hezekiah, chapter 14, right? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul in order that you may live here moses tells the children of israel that god will indeed circumcise their heart what was the significance of circumcised circumcised was a sign of the covenant and here the lord is saying hey you're going to remove the foreskin jeremiah the prophet will say god's going to remove the foreskin of your heart he'll soften your heart he's going to do it he'll circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants but he does it for a purpose To love the Lord. Indifference to the Lord is not love for the Lord. Rebellion to the truth of God is not love for the Lord. It is to love your Lord. And Moses goes on to say how? With all of your heart. With all of your soul in order that you may live. He's calling for the deadness of sin to be removed. And he will replace it with a love for God so that their worship of God would be complete and true and pure. How important is it, if we're going to testify that we love the Lord God, how critical it is that we come into the house of God and we worship our God with all of our heart, all of our mind. And we see here that this is an act of God. Who is doing the circumcision here? God will circumcise your heart. God will make the heart soft. God will do it so that you will love him. And so we see right here that this is an act of God. God in his love is the initiator of love. And God's love is pure love, motivated solely by God's merciful and gracious character. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. That is 1 John chapter 4. Look with me at verse 10. John writes, In this is love. Every Christian should memorize this verse. Please, this is critical. In this is love. Not that we loved God. You getting that? But that he loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Notice that all the actions are God. We didn't love God. We were rebellious toward God. We were at enmity with God. We were striving against God before we were saved. And you may say, well, before I was saved, I was always searching for God. and I was looking for God. And I went to this religion, that religion, the other religion. I know that's how you perceive it, but that's not what's true. There is no one who searched for God, John 3, 9 says. There are none that understand it. All have turned away. Behold, all have become Useless. It's that God loved us. He loved us. The love of God begins with God, not with us. It begins with Him. He demonstrates His own love toward us, as Paul says, in that while we were yet sinners, we were yet sinners. God demonstrated that love to us. God poured out that love to us. Listen, if you look at 1 John four ten, it begins with God. Listen, the "us" in that verse. Circle the "us." It is the believers in Christ. He's writing this letter to the church. He says, "God loved the believers." to such an extent that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to save the believers. Now, you'll say, how did he know? I didn't get saved in the first century. I got saved in the 21st century, or I got saved in the 20th century. How did he know? Because God had determined in his love, That the names of the saints and the elect would be written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. Now you say, wait a second. Then why did he choose me? Why did God choose me? And the love of God goes back to the heart of God, which is love. In love, He chose. In love, our names were written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. According to God's great love, all who profess the name of Jesus Christ, all who have been called by his name, have experienced that love of God. And instead of pumping ourselves up and saying, "Well, I figured this out. I read the Bible for 65 years. I did this. I did that. God in his love and mercy, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet born, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. He says in Psalms, I've seen your unserved, unformed substance And all the things, all the days are recorded before you were even formed. The infiniteness of God's love, the magnitude of his wisdom, the magnitude of his grace is poured out. God's love toward the believer is called a great love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, and God did love the world in a general sense. But for the believer, God has a great love. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 2. That is Ephesians, the second chapter, (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. Here's Paul's talking about the great doctrine of justification by faith and the grace of God. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 2 of the epistle of Ephesians says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Look at what Paul says. Hey, you used to walk that way. You used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? The devil. Used to be a follower of his. You were, as he says in Romans 6, you are slave to sin. A slave can only do what the master tells him to do. Has no free will of their own. The, the master says, hey, I want you up Sunday morning at 4 o'clock. You're going to work the fields till midnight. That slave got to get up and work the fields till midnight. There is no choice. There is no option. Look what he says here. You used to walk that way. You used to walk with the sons of disobedient. You used to be obedient. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the church of ephesus at this time verse 3 among them we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of our flesh and of our mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest hey believer before you were saved you know what you were you were a child of wrath the wrath of god sat upon you the wrath of god was on you but look at verse 4 praise god But God, oh, there we go. You know how many times I say that, right? Look for the but God in the scriptures. But God, now we know something's changing according to the text. But God, being rich in mercy, notice these words now, because of His great love, His great love for the believer, His great love. For the elect of God, because of his great love from which he loved us. The love of God begins with God. Are you following this? The love of God begins with God. Because of his great love from which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do this? He did this because of his great love and he did this in verse 7. In order in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is this us here is the church. This us here is everybody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who has trusted Christ for the finished work that Christ did on the cross. That's the us. And what does he have for his believers? He has a great love, a great love for the believers. Listen, God's love cannot be compared to human love. Human love is motivated by many things. But primarily, it is motivated out of our emotions, our wants, our likes, and our desires. That's what motivates human love. Human love, when we speak about things like, I'm falling in love with this person, or, I am in love with this person. And it speaks of the human love. And when that human love is hurt, as we, we find, when the love that we send is not reciprocated, it hurts us. But that's not God. Psalm 73, 25, Whom, am I, whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there's nothing I desire. My heart and my strength, many times they fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion many times my heart and my strength they fail many times i fail in my weakness many times i sin many times i got to come to the throne of god with repentance and faith many times i got to bow at the feet of jesus and say lord i've done it again i've sinned again have mercy upon me father but what does god do if we confess our sins He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. Here's the second characteristic God's love is defined by God. We see the first place where God's love begins with God. Now God's love is defined by God. Again, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. God has defined it. Who is love? Everyone who believes Everyone that knows. And here we see the second principle that God is defined, love, God's love is defined by God and is consistent, as I mentioned earlier, with all of his other attributes, with his holiness, with his righteousness, his justice, his mercy, his forbearance. This is why God can have mercy on the sinner and yet still condemn sin. He can have mercy on the sinner, but yet he still condemns sin. Because God is both loving and just. His justice has been satisfied through the sufferings of Christ for all who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is, as Paul said, both the just and the justifier of those who have faith. God's love is not tolerance for all things evil it is not and that's where the world gets it terribly 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 wrong god's love is consistent with his character and consistent with his word and consistent with his revelation I can't tell you how many times I've shared the gospel with unbelievers and somebody says, well, you know, you, you take them through the law and you say, well, if God were to judge you according to his moral law contained in the Ten Commandments, would you go to heaven or hell? They go, heaven. I go, but you broke every single one of the laws of God. You admitted it. Yeah, but God is love. God is love. And we may get a chuckle out of that, but you and I thought like that one time. And I'll say something. For those of you who've been raised in the church, for those of you who had a culture of going to church, perhaps you had Christian parents or Christian brand- grandparents that took you to church, and you heard the biblical stories from the time you were a child until the time you were an adult, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that like me, You took liberties with the grace of God. And you abused the love of God. Oh, my sins are forgiven. Hey, I accepted Jesus Christ. I was baptized. I did this. I did that. You abused the love of God. You had an image of a God who was totally tolerant except for other people who didn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So you said they were all heathens. I remember being a young man and I could walk into a room and I could go, they're not saved, they're not saved, they're not saved, they're not saved, I'm saved. And then go out, have a filthy mouth, do everything that my friends did just like everybody else. But I was saved because Jesus loves me. We take the fundamental truth of God and we tear it down to the earth and we think that God acts like we do and God feels like we do even though the Bible reveals him as a person he's revealed as a person to us because we're ignorant and we cannot grasp the full mind of God but what do we do with that love? we take that love, we cast it down We invent false doctrines. And we call him, he's a backslider. What happened to Joe Blow? Oh, Joe Blow used to walk. He was baptized. He was a faithful servant of God. And what is he doing now? Well, he doesn't go to church anymore. He's backslidden. No, he's lost. That's a simple truth. Are there prodigals? Yes. You know the difference between a prodigal and someone who's backslidden? The person who, quote, is backslidden won't return. Listen, I personally have baptized people in this church, in this church who no longer participate with us and who no longer follow Christ. And it grieves my heart. I have baptized people here. I have seen people make profet, you know, professions of faith that, that I believed. I have sat with them as they have asked me detailed questions regarding the scriptures. And I've laid out the scriptures for them. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. I believe that. I believe that. Yes, pastor. I have seen their copious notes that they took from sermons. And they are living in outright sin to this day. Outright sin. They have done what the writer of Hebrews says. They have taken the blood of Jesus Christ and they've trampled it underfoot. Mm. And you know what the writer of Hebrews says? That's why most Christians don't like, most contemporary Christians don't like to read the book of Hebrews. You know why? Because it tells it like it is. And the writer of Hebrews says if we trample underfoot the precious blood of Jesus Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice. If you take the only thing that God has provided as a substitute for sin and the only atonement method of sin and you defile that, well, that says two things. One, you don't know the Savior. And two, if you continue on in that path, you're heading straight to hell. That's a terrible thing. Every time I mention hell and I say something like this, it's not with delight. It rips my guts out. Some of these people that I baptized, some who I've shared the gospel with over my lifetime who are no longer walking with Christ, You know what's the most terrifying thing about it? The most terrifying thing about it is they're not even moved. They're content. I told someone recently, a few years ago, I said, listen to me, listen to me good. The words of the gospel that you heard, that you professed to proclaim... If you don't repent of your sins, we'll testify you, testify against you in the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago we had the pleasure to baptize Mike's Mike's children. Some of you were there, most of you were there. And you know I told them. I sat with them several times before. I said, I want, I want, I wanna, I just want to be crystal clear. You're making a covenant with God. You're saying I've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And I will not turn my back on that. So know what you're doing. Because if you do turn your back on this, there will be judgment for that. So make sure you enter those waters with a clear mind. That... I publicly now will make a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, baptism isn't ceremony. It's not liturgy. It's an ordinance given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. God's love is not a tolerance of all things. And when you hear that coming from the world, right then and there, you know it's wrong when it comes from the world. God's love is consistent with His character, with His Word. Man, humans, as fallen beings, we can tolerate sin, can't we? We're pretty good at that, right? Make all kinds of excuses. Probably the most popular excuse today is, I have a problem. I have a problem with this. I have a problem. You don't have a problem. Your problem is sin. you got to address sin and repent and turn from that sin and turn to Christ. We can tolerate it. And God help us the many times that we do tolerate it. And we don't come to the Lord with repentance and cry out to God and say, Forgive me yet again, Father, This stupid man that I am continues to go like a dog back to the vomit. Forgive me, Lord. Sanctify me in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Pour the Holy Spirit about me and cleanse me from every evil and every sin. Human love can never be perfect like God's love is perfect because human love is based on our biases and prejudices. It's based on our likes and our wants. But that's not true of God. And it's not true of God's love. Listen to what the Scriptures, get get ready to go roaming through the Scriptures now. What the Scriptures have to say. First, we're going to go to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. These are great verses to have underlined in your Bible when you think of the love of God. Exodus 34. Verses 6 and 7. This is when the Lord, when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush. And the Moses' request was, Show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. What was he saying? I want to see you, God. I want to see you. And the Lord answers. Then the Lord Yahweh passed in front of him and proclaimed: The Lord, the Lord God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And we go, Amen! Amen! That's my kind of God. I love me a God who forgives sins, who's abounding in loving kindness, who is compassionate and gracious. Who passes that on to thousands of generations. Sign me up. Sign me up. But the Lord kept speaking. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to a third and fourth generation God, holy, just, righteous, compassionate, full of love, abounding in graciousness. Yes, it's all true. But if you continue and you perpetuate in sin, you are not getting a pass from the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because His love is in balance with His justice and His righteousness. Go over to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore the Lord Yahweh your God. He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. This free and easy believism that has pervaded America for the last 70 plus years. Who tells you that God is just, you know, you just got to make sure you pray that prayer. Make sure you walk that aisle. Make sure you sign that membership card. Make sure you get baptized. If you persist in disobedience, you will reap the justice of God John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whoever believes in Him, whoever entrusts Himself completely and wholly by faith to Christ, should not perish. Romans 5.8, I love this verse. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're a believer in Christ, you should say a big amen for that one. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Not perfect. Not righteous. Not figuring out everything. And then I come to Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Note that in all these verses and countless other verses, God is the originator of love in the heart of the, beginning, in the, heart of the believer. That love begins with God. That God defines that love. And God's love was manifested in Christ. And it's applied through the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the love of God, which started with God, has been given to the believer through the salvation in Jesus Christ applied through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 says this, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the holy spirit who is given to us. And I want to call your attention to the term poured out or as the king King James says it shed abroad. A good good definition of this word is that the love have, of God has been dumped on believers. What a blessing for God to dump His love upon undeserving, hell-bound sinners. A.W. Tozer made this statement that I love. The Christian message says, God so loved, and that love is not for a species, but for individuals. God loves people. God loves people. We have just taken a snapshot, just scratched the surface of the love of God. And if you're like me, perhaps you're amazed. Perhaps you say, I've heard these things before, but I never apprehended them. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is is being a Christian mean that you're not Jewish, you're not Muslim, you're not Hindu? Does being Christian mean that your mother and father were Christians? Does being a Christian mean that you went to church when you were young? Does being a Christian mean that maybe you had an emotional experience many years ago and you know there's no difference in your life today? That's not what it means to be a Christian. You know, the term Christian originally when it came out meant little Christ and it was a derogatory term. They were saying, this little band of Jewish sect, this little Jewish cult, well, they're little Christ. That's what Christian meant. Little Christ. And it was used in a very derogatory way. It was an insult. What was once an insult is the highest calling any human being can pursue. When we talk about, do you love God? What we're not saying is, do you have an affinity for God? Do you have a a moral preference of God over perhaps Satan, over perhaps the world? We're not asking you if your ethic is a moral ethic. We're not asking you, do you follow Jesus as a good moral example, and do you use his precepts and his guidance to live by? That's not what we're asking you. What does it mean to be a Christian? It is the one who has bowed their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the one who confesses Christ as Savior, Lord, and God. I think of Thomas at the resurrection, and all the other disciples said, hey, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas came in probably hurt by all the things he said, probably in fear. And said, listen, you guys could tell me anything you want. Unless I take my hand and I put them in those nail holes and I take my hand and stick it in his side, you could tell me anything you want. I'm not going to believe it. And then they're gathered again. And the Lord comes through the walls. Supernaturally. He said, Thomas. Behold my hands. See my feet. Stick, stick your hand in my side. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood as I do. And with Thomas' conversion, we see a tremendous conversion. Thomas falls at his feet and says, My Lord, My God. He uses the word for God. My Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus wasn't God, he would have rebuked them. He would have said, hey, get up off your knees. I'm not God. There's only one. But Jesus accepted his worship. In that moment, Thomas was broken. In that moment, Thomas knew immediately I am going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I no longer live. It's now Christ that lives in me as the Apostle Paul would say. That's what it means to be a Christian. That we have been crucified with Christ. Therefore no longer we live but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself and died for me. To be a Christian is not to be identified with a religion. It's not that little segment on the political polls that say evangelicals are voting for this guy and the other guy's not getting the evangelical vote to be a christian means you love god and you love god with a burning desire that you hunger and thirst after the righteousness and as jesus christ himself said if you do that you're gonna be satisfied what will i be satisfied with lord you will be satisfied with with me, and you will love me, and you will know me, and you will enjoy me for eternity and eternity. That's what it means to be a Christian. And anything less is nothing. And it's going to cost you. Don't ever think you're going to be a Christian and you're not going to pay any cost. It's going to cost you. Friends will indeed forsake you foes may assail you. And it's going to get worse, people. Everybody worried about the 2024 election? Don't worry about it. It's going to get much worse because they're coming. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for when he has been approved by God, he shall receive the crown of life. Do you love... Christ enough to persevere for Him? Do you love Christ enough to say, I'm going to wait for the day of approval. I'm going to wait. I'll bear up under the pressure. I'll bear up under the load because it's Jesus in me. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me will give me the strength, will give me the victory and will take me safely home. Bow your heads in a word of prayer.